0: So through arrest and imprisonment in Caesarea and through the storm and through the shipwreck, Paul is reaching his destination, which is Rome. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, and we'll continue the story um, of what happens next. Acts 28, verse 11. So after being wintered in the island of Malta and been looked after, when spring comes, they get on a ship. Um, Verse 11, Acts 28. And after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteola, which is up the coast of Italy. There we found some brothers and sisters and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far, so they came down to meet him down the Apian Way to the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing the, the Christians from Rome, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Remember back in April when we started this study, Darcy told us, that the key verse for the entire book of Acts was Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And someone has pointed out that Acts chapter 1, Acts 1 to 12, really is the story of the gospel going to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, And Acts 13, to the end of the book, is the story of the gospel making its way towards the end of the earth. Antioch, Ephesus, Athens, and now from Jerusalem to Rome. 2,300 kilometers. That was a long way in those days, and it's still a long way today. That's from here to Miami, or if you're a Canadian, from here to Iqalua. 2,300 kilometers. Rome. It was the capital of one of the world's greatest empires. And even today when you visit there, and I trust that all of you at some point in time get that opportunity when we can travel again, those ancient buildings still amaze us. And in the Jewish mind, Rome was the end of the earth. But in another sense, Rome was the center of the earth. It was not without cause, the proverb was given, that all roads lead to Rome. And so Paul is determined to take his message of the gospel to this powerful and influential place. Actually, Paul had desired to take the gospel to Rome for a long time. And it's sometimes fun to follow through a story in scripture, and I want to do that with you this morning, which is kind of the story of Paul's desire to go to Rome. And if you have a Bible, follow along with me as we look at Rome as his desire to go to Rome. Turn first to Romans chapter 1 and uh, beginning at verse 8. Romans chapter 1. Um, I guess it's good make sure you bring along a Bible or your, what, is, what does Pastor Dan call it, your electronic device. Um, we can't share Bibles yet. At some point in time, we'll have some around. But for the meantime, bring your own. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing from probably from Ephesus, somewhere around AD 56, so four or five years before this story happens. And here is what he says Romans 1, verse 8, writing to the church in Rome First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And look down at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, to come to Rome, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul writes four years previously, I want to come and visit you guys. Now turn over to Romans chapter 15, as he continues later in the book. Romans chapter 15, verse 23. Let me find the verse, there we go. And he says this to them, but now I have no longer any room to work in these regions. That is around Macedonia and Greece. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in Rome passing through as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So this is the next piece we find out about Paul. He wants to come to Rome. He wants to stop by, have a visit and head off to Spain, which was truly the ends of the earth. Now turn over to Acts chapter 19 and verse 21. Acts 19 and verse 21. Here he is speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and he says this Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And one final verse, Acts 23. And verse 11. So here we have Paul's desire. Now we come to something more than a desire. Acts 23, verse 11. Paul is now in Jerusalem as a captive. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for you have, as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is more than a desire. This is a promise. And now we have fulfillment. Paul has arrived in Rome. Actually, Acts 28 and verse 14 has, a, has an interesting little verse. In verse 14, there's this very non-exclamatory thing. Right at the end, it just says, and so we came to Rome. After all that excitement and, and all, the, uh, all the storms, there's this little phrase, we came to Rome. But here's the takeaway I want you to have from the story. He came to Rome, yes indeed, but not in the way that he planned. Do you get that? He planned to come as a free man, as a preacher of the gospel. He arrives as a prisoner. He planned to come on his way to Spain. He arrives through a shipwreck. He planned to just have a short visit as he passed through. He arrives under arrest. He's about to spend at least two years as a prisoner, imprisoned under house arrest. Yes, Paul came to Rome. It was where he needed to go. It was his mission. And I think we can say cautiously, but a little bit boldly, it was God's mission. God had said, I want you in Rome. He came to Rome. It was where he needed to be, but it was not in the way that he planned. Do you think this applies to us people? I think, brothers and sisters, this applies to us, to each of us here as members of Citizens Church. We, too, have been on a journey. We are on a mission. We have a desire to proclaim the gospel, to form a new congregation of Christians here in Elmira, to have a straightforward, gospel-centered, Christ-centered church. This was and is our desire. And we also, and I, I trust I'm not being arrogant, we also believe this was within God's will, And now we have finally arrived. This is our second Sunday meeting together as a group. We're finally gathered together as believers at Citizens Church. Let me make this application. It's not in the way we planned it. This was not part of the blueprint, was it? Granted, we didn't get arrested. Granted, we didn't have a shipwreck. But indeed, we have come through a storm. Some it's been a mild storm, and for others it's been a rougher storm the COVID-19 storm, it's actually been some of the strangest days in my life. It wasn't how we planned it, but brothers and sisters, I think we are where we need to be. And Rome was where Paul needed to be. He would have planned it differently. Two years of house arrest was not his desire. But in this difficult situation, he ministers with boldness And effectiveness. Look with me in Acts 28, verse 30 and 31, the very end of the book of Acts. So Paul lived there for two whole years as a prisoner at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And while under arrest, he proclaims the kingdom. In actually, if you look over we won't look at it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says that the gospel has spread through the whole palace guard. Here's the funny thing. While the soldier was keeping him captive, Paul had a captive audience. And so every soldier became another individual. He could share the message of Christ. And while he's there, he writes letters. He's got some time on his hands to think. He writes a letter to the church at Philippi. He writes a letter to the church at Colossae. He writes a letter to his friend Philemon. And almost 2,000 years later, those letters are part of our scripture. They still encourage us. The book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. They continue to bless us. Here's the little application. Under very difficult circumstances, Paul performed incredibly effective ministry. Isn't that an encouragement to us this morning? In the midst of these weird and stressful days, I trust that at Citizens Church we would have the boldness and the creativity and the courage to be effective witnesses for Christ. Now, I don't know exactly how that all looks. I, this is where we need some good group think. But may this be our goal, to have effective ministry in spite of our circumstances. Did you get that? We need to have effective ministry in spite of our circumstances. I hear... Way too much negative talk. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do the other thing. If I could dance, I would dance it, right? Brothers and sisters, we focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. And what was the core of Paul's message in the midst of these difficult circumstances? Acts chapter 28, verse 17 to 28, tells of his meeting with those Jewish leaders in Rome. And the core of his message is found in Acts 28. Verse 23, let's read that together. When they had appointed a day for him, the Jewish leaders came to his lodgings in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Trying to convince them about Jesus. This is the core of Paul's teaching. It's not a philosophy, it's not a new idea. The core of his teaching is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus who he claimed to be? Is he the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, the savior of the world? And he pointed the Jewish leaders to the scriptures, to their scriptures. He said that Jesus was the one who fulfilled the law of Moses. Jesus was the one who the sacrifices pointed to. Jesus was the one the ancient prophets had predicted. But it wasn't just to Jewish leaders that Paul shares this message about Jesus. He shared it to the Greeks and the Romans. He pointed them to a person, the person of Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who died a cruel death on a cross, but the one who had defeated death, and Paul preached the hope of the resurrection through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this Jesus that they had rejected was the Savior of the world. Michael Green, in his book Evangelism Now and Then, says this about the preaching of the early believers. No philosophy of life engaged their attention, no system of morals. Instead, it was the living, loving person of Jesus. That is who they proclaimed. And so what was the response when he presented and tried to convince them of Jesus? Acts 28, 24 says this. Some of them were convinced by what he said, but then it continues. But others disbelieved. This was what Paul experienced, and this is what we will experience. Some will receive the message of Christ, and some will not believe. We cannot force anyone to believe the gospel, but we can present the choice, the choice of what will you do with Jesus Christ. The core of Paul's message was not a philosophy, but a person. And that's the challenge for us today, to continue to present the message of that person. When I come to the end of the book of Acts, I don't know how you feel, but I'm left wishing for more. What happens next? Does Paul get out of prison? Does he, go, does he get to go to Spain? How does the church continue to grow? Where did the apostles go to next? But I wonder if it's purposeful that the story ends here. For as the story of the book of Acts ends, our story begins. The story of Christians who have continued to make, take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. The story of how the gospel came to Canada, to Elmira. And now it's our story, how we take that message at Citizens Church and pass it on. Um, I think Darcy's aware of it. There's a wonderful church planting organization called Acts 29. What a wonderful name. And they've planted uh, hundreds of churches throughout the world. What a great name. A vision to add the next chapter as new churches are planted. And at Citizens Church, we're beginning a new chapter too, aren't we? It's our Acts 29. And yet it's not completely new. It's a continuation of a story that has gone from Jerusalem to Antioch to Rome to the ends of the earth. And as I come to the end of our study on Acts, I want to close with five principles here. I, I was trying to watch my time because I, right? But we're having such a good time. I'll maybe just keep going. Do you want, will I do that? All right. And I trust these lessons that we have learned as we go through the book of Acts would encourage us as a congregation. I want to just, there's a whole lot more but I've just got to center on five of them. Here's the first, that they depended on the Holy Spirit. They depended on the Holy Spirit. It begins on Pentecost. It's those fearful disciples, all kind of huddled in an upper room, and they're empowered by God's Spirit, and suddenly they boldly proclaim Christ. It's Peter, the same guy who denied the Lord just a few weeks previously, and now he's out there preaching for all he can go, huh? But not only were they empowered by the Spirit, Through the book of Acts, we read how they are guided by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. May that power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit mark us here at Citizens Church. Isn't that a great desire? Here's the second principle. The centrality of church planting. This was the key of the apostolic mission. First, they preached the gospel. Then they baptized those who believed. And they formed those believers into a new community called the church. And as we read through the book of Acts, that pattern is repeated over and over and over. And those new churches were the place where believers were strengthened, where the gospel was proclaimed and the Christian faith grew. This is why Citizens Church exists. Here's the third principle. They had a commitment to accountability. Throughout the book of Acts, We see Christians operating under authority. There were no lone wolves in the ministry of Christ. Even the greatly revered Paul, he continuously submits to the leadership in Antioch and in Jerusalem. And at the end of every missionary journey, you think, well, why is he heading back there? He was heading back to his sending church at Antioch to report and be accountable to those who had sent him and supported him. Here's the fourth principle. The power of teamwork in mission. Throughout the book of Acts, names are linked together. There's Peter and John. There's Paul and Barnabas. There's Paul and Silas. And they're all working together as a team. And as we work together as a team, we are stronger. I think of one of the most effective ministry teams in the 20th century was the Billy Graham team. It wasn't all about Billy. It was all those other people who worked with him. There's a depth and a strength in team ministry that no one person can ever accomplish. And it appears that Paul developed a very extensive team. We've got the time. Let's look this one up because in numerous times there's different team members. There's Luke and there's Timothy. But there's one story here in Acts chapter 20. Let's look at it. Acts 20 beginning at verse 4. And this is when they're leaving Macedonia. And I tell you, the minibus was crammed full. All right, beginning at verse 4, it says, There was Sopater the Berean, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And off the Thessalonians, there was Aristarchus and Secundus. That that he, that guy was into I am second way ahead of time. Secundus just means number two, right? So he, he must always kind of felt kind of bad because his brother was probably called Eunice, right? You know, the big gun. He was Secundus. He was number two. And there was Gaius of Derby, and there was Timothy. And there were the Asians. That is, they were from... Uh, Ephesus, not from Beijing. Um, There were Tychicus and Trophimus. That was seven of them, and those went on ahead, and I thought, man, the minibus was full, right? He had the whole bunch of them, all these co-workers with him. Paul was an incredibly strong person. He was a very effective communicator. He was a keen thinker, one of the keenest thinkers the world has ever seen, and yet in the context of a team, his ministry was even more effective you know this is the strength and can be the strength of this congregation for this little service to come together this morning there was a lot of people the team was big you know i'm kind of doing the speaking you folks all knew who you were putting things together powerpoints and music and cleaning the place up and setting it up and planning the service there is a power when we work together as a team on mission each supplying what the other lacks together building something which is stronger and deeper than any one of us can do on our own. This is our goal at this church. Let me come to the fifth principle, and with this I will end. It's a very simple principle, and it's a very difficult principle. Let me say it is the most difficult principle that every church will face. The effectiveness of the the early church was built on this principle. And here it is. They made the main thing, the main thing. Did you get that? They made the main thing, the main thing. What was the main thing? The main thing was the proclamation of the gospel. The person of Jesus Christ, his life, his powerful teaching, his sin-atoning death, and his resurrection on the third day. And that through him and him alone... No other name given among heaven, among men, whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus, that through him alone there is forgiveness and eternal life for all who believe. Early in the book of Acts, way back, I I don't know if it was Dustin or Darcy that did the study, there's a dispute occurs in the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember that story? It's the story of the widows uh, that were, not, were neglected in the everyday distribution of food. And it appeared that those of a Greek background were not getting their food, and those of a Jewish background were, and it was causing a lot of trouble. And the problem came to the apostles, and they said, would you guys do something about this? Right? It was critical that this problem was resolved, because part and parcel of the Christian faith is caring for the poor and the disadvantaged, particularly those who are part of our fellowship. And so seven gifted individuals are charged with resolving the problem and getting things looked after. Now the question might be asked, why didn't the apostles just fix that themselves? And the answer they gave was that this issue was one of priority. Even though this was important, there was something that was more important that they couldn't stop doing. They could not leave their priority to do something which was less important. What was their priority? They said, our priority is that we preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's word. That sounds a little harsh, but they made a difficult choice. And because they made that difficult choice, we are here today. If the church had just regressed into feeding people at tables, which is important, the gospel would never have been proclaimed all over the world. They made a choice to make the main thing the main thing. As we go forward at Citizens Church, there are many, many things which will call for our attention. Guys, we have a fresh start. We have a clean slate, right? There are many, many good things that will demand our attention. But if we are to be effective in being a transformative community of faith, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, now, as we begin this new ministry, we have a wonderful heritage of faith, a heritage that comes out of Woodside and before that Wallenstein and Hawksville. Our heritage includes those evangelical revivals it includes the Reformation. It's a heritage which eventually goes back to the book of Acts. And yet, not only do we look back, we look forward because there is still much to do. And so we join with Christians from all over the world, from every continent, from Australia, and from Asia, and from Europe. And we still proclaim the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ until the end of the age. There's a a beautiful, beautiful song. We're going to listen to it together that uh, the Gettys have resurrected that goes like this. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. I love this verse. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, To thee we yield our powers. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the gospel, the transforming message of Christ, the mystery of the ages, the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We thank you for the example of those who have gone before us for the example of faithfulness we find through the book of Acts. Lord, we ask that their passion and their courage would be ours. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.